Bibles this morning, please, to Psalms 34. I suspect that every pastor could preach every week for the rest of his life out of the Psalms. That, that would, in fact, be very easy to do. And sometimes we, uh, sometimes we get the feeling that we've always got to have something new and improved and, you know, something different. I, I don't know, but it's kind of hard to improve on vanilla ice cream as far as I'm concerned. Good, good vanilla ice cream. Everybody wants to keep putting stuff in it and, uh, they do the same thing with cereal and, uh, and, uh, a lot of things like just not satisfied with things like they are. Just you got to add something to it. Well, you know, sometimes we get off on that kick when it comes to what we read or what we study in the Bible. We want to know, you know, who the uh, who who the, the the Antichrist is going to be and the meaning of the mark of the beast and uh, the two witnesses during the tribulation time and and you know it's all right to be inquisitive about stuff like that, but. Whenever, whenever all is said and done, it really gets down to some basic, really simple things. And a lot of times, you know, when it comes to uh, to our children, for example, we uh, teach them from the get-go to, to pray what some would call a childish prayer. It's really not. God is great. God is good and so forth, you know, and uh, it's so very simple and and uh, so, sometimes we lose the seriousness of a matter in the simplicity of it. And we, we need to stop and give due consideration to those simple truths that, that set forth in the Word of God. Uh, for example, sometimes we sing, you know, God is good, the little chorus, God is good. And somebody will say, all of the time, we, we, we like to sing that around here, and for good reason. But let me tell you this morning, not everybody believes that. I, I know you do, we do, and, and, and we should. Uh, but there are some people that believe that, you know, if God really does exist, He must be a monster or some kind of a cruel master. And they say that because, for one thing, that, that they really don't know any better from the standpoint that they've never been taught they don't know anything about the Bible. Plus, they've had some bad experiences that's left them bitter. And uh, they get hurt. And instead of turning to God in their, in their pain, they reject Him. They turn away from God. I make a statement, you know, sometimes it says God either causes or allows Everything that happens, which is true, nothing happens without God allowing it to happen. doesn't mean everything's good. It just means that God allows everything to happen. And that's confusing to them. Uh, you know, they wonder how in the world could a God of love allow sin? Uh, how could God allow suffering? And mark it down, even as I'm speaking to you here this morning, there are those that are in great pain, those that are hurting beyond what any words can possibly explain. They, they want an explanation. Why? That's what they're 
asking over and over, why this? Why me? Why now? Why God? And God isn't talking. God doesn't owe us an explanation for everything He does. But we, we want to know why, you see. Now, we Christians understand, of course, that at the root of their problem is they don't know God like we do. They don't know God and they don't know about God. And uh, that's no real excuse because they could know Him, but that, that's part of the reason. They don't know anything about God. And we, we really can't expect them to look at things in the same way that we do. So that's their excuse. They don't know God, don't know anything about God. But here's a question for you. What's your excuse? Now, I say that, I think, for a good reason, because of the fact that even those who believe in God, those that, you know, that you believe that God, God couldn't make a mistake. God wouldn't do anything that's wrong. You acknowledge all of that. Uh, that's all a part of what you believe about God. But the problem is sometimes we don't treat God or respond to God in accordance to what the Bible says about God being good. We might not come out and and say it, we'd be embarrassed to do that, of course, to say, you know, I think God has just been unfair with me lately. I, I just don't think it was fair that God did this or that God do that. We, we don't come out and say that, but, but if we're really honest, there's something within us that feels that way. And with Thanksgiving just around the corner, you know, uh, while you're thanking God for His blessings, Mark it down, there are some cursing God because of their losses. But we'll get to our text here in a little bit, but all of, all of what I'm saying is important. I was thinking about the shooting there in the Sutherland and, uh, and what those people are going through. It's, it's great to hear the good response from the believers, right? To hear them, you know, talk about the fact that, well, God is in this and so on and so forth, and God's going to get us through this. But you've just, you just got to know there's some, some people hurting deeply. Some people that are not perhaps really grounded in the faith, and they, they kind of feel like they've got a raw deal in all of this. We live in a troubled world, and it'd be easy to make a big, long list of all of the tragic events. I was sitting the other day and thinking about an article and talking about what a year it's been. Flood for us, fire for the folks in California. You know, you think the flood is bad, but you see some of those news reports of people standing there weeping, and there's nothing but ashes, and hear them say, we lost everything. We didn't save anything. I'm kind of bothered by the fact that I lost a lot of things. Bev lost. We lost a lot of things that can never be replaced. We didn't lose everything, though. But some folks lost it all. I mean, it's all gone. All of their material possessions. And so you think about all of that, and then you think about the friends and the relatives of those that lost a loved one because they were murdered and uh, if we're going to 
if we're going to really get a grip on this and respond to the troubled world that we live in as we should, maybe I should rephrase that. If we're going to respond to God, because He's the one running the show, if we're going to respond to God as we ought to, then we need to know something about the attributes of God. That word attribute speaks about the, the qualities that, that belong to God, those things that constitute the nature of God, the things that make Him what He is. And as we study those attributes of God, it has a way of illuminating our mind and imparting humility, and it'll, it will increase our faith and it inspires hope. Because the more you know about God, the better you'll deal with the things that God allows to happen in your life. But when you think about the attributes of God and such a vast subject, where do you start? Well, I believe you start where we are here this morning. I, I think you start with the goodness of God. Sure. Psalms 34, verse 8. Oh, I remember several years ago preaching an entire sermon on that little word, oh. And it's so meaningful. I don't want you to miss that. Oh, I mean, there's emotion in that. Oh, taste. In other words, there's something for you to do. Taste and see. In other words, there's going to be an experience born out of this. Oh, taste and see. And here's what he wants you to, to understand. The Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. The Lord is good. Now, the first thing we need to do is have an explanation of that word good because we use it all of the time. And uh, we use it in regards to things that are not really true. We talk about, you know, uh, somebody being great or somebody being good, and we apply it to things where it's just not true at all. He's really a good person. I, I've heard people talk about folks, you know, might, might have been the biggest drunk in the county, might have been a dope dealer or whatever, and, and, and then they'll turn around and say, but boy, you know, deep down he's really a good person. No, he wasn't. He's a dirty, rotten dope dealer that was poisoning the, 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 the lives of our kids. Not a good person. It's amazing to me that we can call someone great just because they can run down the field with a bag of zipped up air and make a touchdown. Boy, he's great. What's so great about that, you know? Now, while we misuse that word good so often in our normal conversation, let me tell you, you can never exaggerate the use of that word when it comes to God. You see, God doesn't just do good. God is good. That's what the Bible says. Uh, we, we, look, I can spend the next 30 minutes just reading verses. Nothing else. Just reading verses that relate to the goodness of God. And the Bible tells us that God is good. In other words, like John Gill said, God is the superlatively good. I mean, He is the very essence of good. He is beyond all of our ability to to imagine or our ability to express. 
And if we could just find one loose thread in God's character, everything would unravel and God wouldn't be God. But God is God and God is good. He's good through and through. So that's why God does good, because God is good. But here comes somebody down the road and they still want an explanation. They want some evidence. You know, it's one thing for me to sit here and to say, God is good, but it's another thing whenever someone going through a hard time is demanding evidence. Well, the psalmist knew you was going to ask that question. God did. Psalms 33, just one back, verse 5. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So if we want evidence, he's saying just look in any direction. The whole earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. We see God's goodness, for example, in creation. Have you ever thought about the intricate balance of creation? I mean, I'm certainly no expert, but it's mind-boggling whenever you think about it. If the earth was 9,500 miles in diameter instead of the 8,000 miles in diameter, it would double the weight of air. And uh, the, the whole earth would be covered with water, the scientists say. How about that? We think about the sun and the moon and the stars and all of them in their course. And we think about how dependent our planet Earth is upon what's going on up there. God could just, with His mighty hand, shove the sun down a little bit toward us and burn us to a crisp. God could just withdraw the sun a bit from the Earth and we'd be a big snowball, just a ball of ice, you see. But God has all of that under control. Think about the seasons and everything, all of the little minor details that generally we don't pay any attention to. All of those are expressions of God's goodness in taking care of us. But it doesn't end there. The whole earth is full of His goodness. We see it in creation, but we see it in communication also. The writer over in Hebrews chapter 6 speaks about the good Word of God. The good Word of God. That's a great way to describe God's Word. It's the good Word of God. Can you imagine? This is a frightening thought, but can you imagine how it would be if when Adam and Eve sinned against God, if he would have said, listen... I tried to tell you, I warned you, I gave you instructions. You wouldn't listen to me. Now you made your bed, now you lie in it. You made your mess, I, I'm i not telling you anything else. You figure how to get out of this mess that you've made. He could have just left them to their fate, but thank God he didn't. Amen. I mean, they look, they were so fearful, they tried to hide from God. And the voice of God came in the garden and said, Adam, where art thou? You see, God wasn't through with mankind. 
And God continued to communicate, and He has down through the ages, and we have here in our hand communication from God right here. Here it is. You want to hear the voice of God? Read the Bible out loud, if you please. Just read it. That's it. It's the voice of God communicating with us. And in that, we see the goodness of God. We see the goodness of God also whenever it comes to God's care for man. In Psalms 145, verse 9, it says, The Lord is good to all. Isn't that amazing? It's really, it's amazing that God would be good to anyone, right? Because the Bible says there is none good. You know, you've heard people say, well, why in the world would God allow bad things to happen to good people? Because there's no good people. Right, the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none, none that's good. Not not even one. None of us are good in and of ourselves. But notice it says the Lord is good to all. It would be really amazing if, you know, some of us, if we were good enough that we earn God's goodness. But, you know, God's good to all. Wait, that just pretty well covers it all, right? I mean, amen. It doesn't make any difference who you are or what you've done. I think about what Abraham said concerning the rich man that was in hell. You remember that? And he said, Thou in thy lifetime receivest thou thy good things. Here's a guy that didn't care about anything. I mean, the old beggar's laying out there at his gate. He didn't care about that beggar. That poor old beggar, he, look, he would have, he would have, he would have eaten the crumbs from, that the, left over from the dogs. He didn't care anything about that man. But he lived in a mansion. He had all of the fine things of life. You see, God was good to him. Jesus said that God maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and send to rain on the just and the unjust. He is kind to the unthankful and to those that are evil. How amazing is that? To think about God being good to all. That's why I often say nobody is earning their way with God. Nobody. It's by the grace of God that we have all of these things. And so it's no wonder the psalmist said, Oh God, who is like unto thee? There's nobody like God. He's good to all and we see it in His care for man. We see it in His communication with man. We see it in His creation. We see it in His condescension. For you young people, that simply means him coming down. He condescended. He came down. Like Squire Parsons says, he came to me. Wow. You know, the psalmist says that he looked down from heaven. That, isn't that great to think he would look down? And he saw the sons of men. He looked down and he saw us as we are in our sinful state. And that prompted God into action. And God, seeing us as we are, came down to man. And then we see it most of all, most vividly of all, in the crucifixion. He was born to die. He condescended to man in order to be crucified for man. 
You see, he was made flesh and blood that, that he might shed his blood. He gave his life that we might have life. And the shedding of his blood is the ultimate expression of God's goodness toward man. Everybody here knows John 3.16. You ought to know 1 John 3.16. says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. In other words, this is the way we see it. This is the evidence of it. This is how we understand it. Hereby perceive we the love of God in that he laid down his life for us. It, wow. Don't ever accuse God of being unfair. Don't ever accuse God of not doing good. He paid the ultimate price for our sins. So there's plenty of evidence. Then there's something else we need to consider as we think about the goodness of God. Not only the explanation of it and the evidence for it, but we need to think about the effects of God's goodness. You know, it's wonderful to be able to sit here this morning and to proclaim God's goodness. That's a wonderful thing. But it's another thing to talk about it in a personal sense. What does it mean to us? What are the effects of God being so good? Well, the most obvious, of course, is salvation. None of us would be saved were it not for God's goodness. It's a great verse in Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4 that says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Now, Paul was writing to a people, and I want you to get this, he was writing to a people that did not understand. They supposed that the manifestations of God's goodness toward them, I mean, after all, they could not deny the fact that God was good, like Jesus said, He's good to the evil and to the just and the unjust alike. And so they couldn't deny that. But they took the goodness of God as a manifestation or a sign of God's approval in their life. Well, then God really couldn't be all that upset with me. I must not be too bad. I must not be such a terrible sinner because just look how good God's been toward me. And Paul is writing this in order to help them understand that God's goodness toward you is for the purpose of leading you to repentance. It's not God putting His stamp approval upon your rotten conduct. We wonder, why would God be so good to the sinner who denies Him, that rails against Him, that leads others astray? How could God be good to them? After all, you have some deadly disease running through the veins in your body. You're broke. You've got all kinds of problems. And you love God. They Look, they don't have any of those problems whatsoever, but they, and they don't care anything about God. Why would God be good to them? Because God is leading them to repentance. And nobody can ever accuse God of not being good. It's like I've said so many times, it wasn't the, the power of God that was the 
deciding factor in whether I trusted him as my Savior or not. It wasn't the wisdom of God. I mean, I could see that looking up in the stars at night, you know, looking to the sky and see those stars. They've got to be a creator. Somebody had to design it. Somebody had to do it. Somebody has to control it. I mean, any nitwit can see that. That's all obvious, right? But it wasn't the overwhelming fact that, wow, God is so powerful or God is so wise, but, well, it was the fact that God is so good that he loved me even while I was yet a sinner. That, Amen. That's it. That's the main effect of God's goodness is our salvation, but the list, it goes on from there. There's our sanctification. Now, don't. If you're here and you, you say well, that's one of those big old words that you preachers use, yeah, but it's really an important word and it's very simple and easy to understand. It's a word that is associated with the word holy. It means to set apart. It, it, it's, it's a word that, that we would use in describing something that has been consecrated or dedicated to a particular use. And you see, the Lord doesn't just save us, that is, deliver our soul from a devil's hell, but the Lord begins a work in us whereby He's changing us. And I'm so glad that when God saved me, He not only kept my soul out of hell, He got me out of the bars. I don't know what it is God needs to get you out of, but I can tell you this, we all need some improvement somewhere, and the means whereby that happens is through God's goodness. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, you know, as we, as we behold Him in a glass, or we would say a mirror today, as we look at, at God through the mirror of His Word, we are changed from glory unto glory even as by his spirit and it's because of the working of the spirit of god in the heart of the child of god that our life is sanctified that we are changed and he delivers us from those things that have tortured us throughout our life but not only not only that but he also gives us our supplies remember james said that Every good and perfect gift comes from where? The Father above. Amen. Every good and perfect gift. You say, I'm so glad that I don't have to worry about whether my needs are going to be supplied. And if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God and the will of God, you don't need to worry about whether your needs will be supplied or not. Because I promise you they will. God might not give you everything you want. Because we're all a bunch of little spoiled brats. That's pretty true of all of us. You might not like that, but th that's true, especially Christians born and raised in America where we've got all of this stuff that we come to expect. You know, boy, the government owes us and God owes us. And if we had to live like a good portion of the world, we'd think different been so spoiled but mark it down if you're a child of God and the will of God he will supply whatever you need but my God Paul said shall supply all your need go ahead and say it 
Who said that? Go on. I want you to finish it. In glory. Amen. Hey, boy. You, notice he didn't say out of his riches like, like they might be lessened. Because God never runs out. Regardless of how much he gives, there's always that much more left. Because it's not diminished one bit regardless of how much he gives. And he takes care of all of his children. You see, your response to God's goodness should be to trust Him. Because, look, this list could go on. We could talk about the strength that He imparts and numerous other things. But, but when you get right down to it, it's, we look at all this and say, okay, how should we respond to this? Because everything I've told you is true. Because that's what the Bible says. God is good. God has proven in numerous ways that He is good, that He has your best interest at heart, that He He's concerned about you. He's more concerned about you than you are yourself. So now we've got all of this information, all of these facts. How should we respond to all of this? I hope it results in something more than you leaving here today saying, you know, I I really enjoyed Brother Stone's message, you know, because it was about how good God is and it just reminded me what a good God I've got. How should we respond? Notice our text, verse 8, Old taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, notice, blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Your response to God's goodness should be for you to put your trust in Him. We talk a lot of times about faith, and a lot of times people get confused because they talk about being a person of faith. And what they really mean is, I'm a positive thinker. I don't worry about things, you know. I've just disciplined myself to think in a positive fashion everything's going to be all right and I'm a person of faith and all they mean is I've got faith in faith and that is absolutely useless faith in faith is not anything's going to help you it'll end up deceiving you you see it's the object of our faith that is really important when we talk about faith it is our trust in the great God that is good, that has supplied all of our needs and given us exceeding great and precious promises. It's me believing that God will do what He said that He would do. My confidence in God's promise. God is a good God. But God is also a just God. And for those who reject Him, the result of their rejection is condemnation, judgment. doesn't have to be that way. But for those that reject God, it is that way. And if you're here today, I want you to understand, first of all, how good God is. Now, I know I can't explain that. I can't even begin to. And so all I can do is just simply say God is a good God, and God has not only given you life, but He's given you the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the opportunity to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
And it would be an awful, horrible, terrible thing for you to walk out of here today ignoring what God has done for you. And you, you mark it down, you have to bear all of the responsibility for that yourself. God's not to blame. This church isn't to blame. You're the only one that's to blame if you reject Him. And if you're here today and you're a child of God, but a lot of times we don't respond to the bad things that happened in our life as we ought to, and it gets right back to what he said, blessed. That means to be happy or to be congratulated, to be blessed. To experience that life of blessedness, he says, we have to put our trust in him. If you can't trust God, who are you going to trust? Well, you're maybe the same old preacher, yeah, but it's easy for you to say, but I've got some things going on in my life that you don't know about, and life's really tough for me right now. Well, I don't deny that, and you don't need to tell me what all's going on in your life. Uh, but I can tell you what, God, God is more than able to take care of every situation in your life, regardless of what it is. And without, get this and I'm done, without faith, I'm talking about faith in Him, it's impossible to please Him. Do you want to live a life that is pleasing to God, the kind of life that will cause God to pour out His blessings upon you? Trust Him. That's as simple as it gets. Just trust Him. And He takes care of the rest. And we're going to give you that opportunity here this morning. Let's all stand. Tim's going to come and the Preston's going to come and we're going to extend to you this invitation and it might be that uh, that you're already saved already on your way to heaven but there's just a heavy burden on your heart there's a need in your life or or something maybe you don't even want to talk to anybody about it and i don't blame you that's all right it might be you don't even want to walk down this aisle you don't want to kneel up here somewhere that's fine but right where you are even, if you just bow your head and do business with God and trust Him this morning for every need in your life while we sing.